0: I cannot engage directly or indirectly in management of a labor union. Disappeared from the site here at the Marcus Red Fox restaurant. The FBI is up against the wall of their investigation. Test for the investigation into his disappearances. Welcome, I'm Eric Schaum. You're listening to Riddle, the podcast. My companion series of the Fox Nation show, Riddle, the search for James R. Hoffa. Teamsters leader, Jimmy Hoffa, disappeared on July 30th, 1975, and our episodes detail our Fox Nation investigation of the case. With us now, Jack Goldsmith. You know, there are only two suspects in the Hoffa case still alive. Jack's stepfather, Chucky O'Brien, is one. Authorities have long considered Chucky a prime suspect, claiming he may have driven Jimmy Hoffa to his death, perhaps unwittingly, by driving him to a mob meeting where he was killed. Jack, though, has a different story. He's written an honest, refreshing, and deeply told tale of his stepfather and the cause that has so long haunted him. He argues that, among many other reasons, because of the FBI official timeline, that does not give Chucky the time to have driven Hoffa. The book has been praised. It is called In Hoffa's Shadow, A Stepfather, A Disappearance in Detroit, and My Search for the Truth. Jack was also the Deputy Attorney General of the United States in the George W. Bush administration and is current professor of law at Harvard and a prominent constitutional expert. You have an amazing life. First, tell those who are listening uh, from your experience in the Justice Department, the, the top constitutional lawyer at Harvard in the country, and your Chucky e. O'Brien stepson.
1: Well I'm not sure I'm the top constitutional lawyer in the country, but i I do practice and and teach constitutional law of various forms. Chucky e. O'Brien is my stepfather he was the lead, one of the leading suspects in the Hoffa disappearance. He remains that, and I was twelve years old when uh he became my stepfather and when Hoffa disappeared, What was that like back then? It was very strange very very strange to put it mildly um You know, Chucky had just come into my life. I hadn't had a father figure, really. I was really, really, really close to him. Uh, I adored him. And then all of a sudden, the Hoffa thing happened. And, you know, our whole lives got turned upside down because he was on the front page of every newspaper and he was associated with all these criminals that I didn't know about, people I got to know later very well. And, you know, the press was all over us. The government was all Mm -hmm. over us. It was kind of a crazy time.
0: Now, meanwhile, you have this parallel life. Uh, Briefly, if you can, describe what you did to the Justice Department under the George W. Bush administration, Uh, friends with uh, Comey, and you were right there in the middle of the uh, enhanced interrogation issue.
1: Sure. Uh, In October of 2003, I was confirmed by the Senate to be the assistant attorney general in charge of the Office of Legal Counsel, and that is the office that exercises authority delegated from the president and the attorney general to determine legal issues for the government, for the executive branch. Soon after I got there, as as has been known for a long time now, I discovered problems with the interrogation program and with the warrantless wiretapping program. I spent the next nine months trying to put those in a better legal foundation. Um, you know that that's the that's the short version.
0: So you're dealing with the top national security issues of this nation. At the same time, a parallel track as being Chucky's uh, stepson, a man you love, who is the center of the Hoffa investigation for decades.
1: Correct. And indeed, it came together uh, in my book. I opened the book with this scene. Those two worlds of mine came together. I hadn't spoken to Chucky in 20 years. I would kind of cut him out of my life. The only reason I was at the Justice Department, I wouldn't have gotten the security clearances I needed had I not cut him out of my life. And one night, I hadn't thought about Chucky in decades, really not much. And one night, I was working on this program, the warrantless wiretapping program, and I came across a citation to an old, two old cases: O'Brien versus United States and Hoffa versus United States, which opened a whole door onto an earlier era of illegal surveillance that involved Chucky and Hoffa. So that was my two traumatic worlds kind of collided. And
0: you, the book is so real and so honest.
1: I commend you for this
0: thank you as i've said in the intro it's in office shadow an amazing book that i think our our listeners have to read and you talk about the abuses of the government back then uh listening in on the suspects listening in on chucky listening in on uh, tony jack anthony jackaloni uh illegally and trying to come up, come up with this case that they have not yet officially soft,
1: Right. So this is the, the, the episodes I have them uh, that I discussed with the government illegally bugging and listening in to Chucky and Anthony Giacalone and Josephine Hoffa, Hoffa's wife, and Chucky's mom, Sylvia Pagano, and lots of other amazing characters, including lots of mobsters. That was an earlier era of illegal government surveillance. Um, and it was widespread and um, unregulated and it it kind of opened up a world – this kind of amazing world of the argument just listening in 24-7 mm-hmm. to people's lives. Um, so, yeah. And in the book, you lay out the
0: case that the narrative involving Chucky, that the uh, uh, investigators believing that he picked up Jimmy Hoffa in the parking lot of the Marcus Red Fox, that started basically the night he disappeared with James P. Hoffa having suspicions of Chucky.
1: Yeah. James P., who is – James P Hoffa, who is Jimmy Hoffa's son and whom Chucky actually had a large hand in raising because Chucky was so close to Hoffa. The night, of the, dis- the night of the disappearance, or really the next day, he pointed the finger at Chucky. He believed Chucky was involved for a whole bunch of reasons. They had a dispute. that They had tensions going back decades. He pointed the finger at Chucky. The FBI told me and clearly were, in retrospect, influenced by what he said there was some circumstantial evidence, quite a lot of it, pointing to Chucky in the area, maybe being involved. So it was completely understandable why he became a suspect early on.
0: And what has that done to Chucky's life?
1: Well, I, I mean, first of all, he's always claimed that he wasn't involved in the disappearance. As I try to explain in the book, I, I think that's right. I give reasons why. I explain why the FBI thinks he's not involved. Obviously, it turned his life completely upside down, and frankly, it ruined it. Um he was Hoffa was like a father to him. Many b- people believe he was Hoffa's real son, his illegitimate uh, ch- child out of wedlock. I don't believe that's true. I talk about that in the book, but he was really, really close to Hoffa, and you know, he'd always told me when I was a, when I was a boy, he never could have done that. He loved Hoffa too much, and he would have taken a bullet for Hoffa. And and you know, he 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 did things like that for, over the course of his life. So being accused credibly of being the person who was involved in Hoffa's disappearance, you know, it it destroyed him really, and not 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 to mention the collateral impact of his you know reputation and uh, but really it was his honor that that it was most destroyed and that upset him the most. And the theory that
0: he picked him up in 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 Tony Jackson's car, mm-hmm. unwittingly driving him to what he thought was a meeting.
1: Uh, your view of that, yeah. So I just, there's there's literally no evidence for it. Um, the, we don't have any evidence. And I talked to a lot of FBI agents on the record in my book. There's no evidence at all of what happened in that parking lot that day. They know, the only reason that they suspect that Hoffa got in a car with someone is because he disappeared and they assumed that if he had been overcome involuntarily in the parking lot, someone would have seen it. But even that's an assumption. So I go through, I mean, I I don't have time to get into it now. I go through in the book all of the reasons why the circumstantial case against Chucky doesn't hold up and all the independent reasons to think he couldn't have been involved and the FBI's new theory. But, um, you know, really the story that Chucky picked up off of that day was premised on the assumption that there aren't many other people Hoffa would have gotten in the car with voluntarily. And uh, I'm pretty confident that the circumstances under which Chucky supposedly picked Hoffa up. There's no chance Hoffa would have gotten in the car then either. He had been waiting in the parking lot an hour and a half. He hadn't spoken to Chucky in six months. He wasn't supposed to see Chucky that day. It's 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 very hard to believe, independent of everything else, he would have just gotten in the car. In our series, in our first one, dealing with Frank
0: Sharon and his claims, and now our second uh, uh, show on Fox Nation, Riddle the Search for James R. Hoffa, Phil Moscato Jr. says that uh, Hoffa was killed by Sal Salabaguglio, it was all arranged by Tony Pro, Anthony uh, Tony Pro, Provenzano, Genevieve's crime family, New Jersey, uh, and 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 Phil says that it it is uh, Sally Bugs who shot Hoffa. What is your view?
1: I don't have an informed view. I really don't. Um, I do believe that Tony Pro was involved. There's lots of circumstantial evidence to support that. A lot of metadata analysis that hasn't been made public to support that. Chucky told me in the book that Tony Pro had a lot to do with it. Uh, that's w- one of the uh, things he told me about the disappearance. I don't have any reason for or against Sally Buggs. Uh, the FBI agents I've spoken to don't believe he was involved, although they did early on, in large part because they think there was evidence that he was actually in New Jersey at the time. They think they have telephone information records that show he was in New Jersey. But none of this evidence is conclusive, so I certainly can't say that Sally Bugs didn't do it. Uh, Scott Bernstein in Detroit, who you talked to from the mm-hmm. podcast,
0: believes that uh, Tony Powell, uh, uh, then a low-level mobster in Detroit, may have shot him in a house. Adam O'Dea, of course, thinks that – or says that uh, uh, Sal uh, – I'm sorry, that Tony Pro was in Detroit at the time. What about Frank Sheeran and his claim?
1: So for reasons I explained at length in the New York Review of Books, a New York Review of Books essay that I wrote, I think the Sheeran claim is is preposterous for a whole bunch of reasons. It's, it's – First of all, the book is just full of falsehoods, starting in the first paragraph. Sheeran has lied so many times over the course of his life about his involvement. There's no evidence, not a single piece that I've seen that actually affirmatively supports the case that he was involved. And the circumstances under which he claims to have been involved, last second flight into Detroit, Hoffa was supposed to meet him and didn't hear from him, and then he shows up with all of these... um, with all of the kind of uh, trail of evidence that we would have left. There was just no no reason for the mob to use him and the meeting at Vesuvio's afterwards. I don't know if you get into that on this podcast, but... Yeah, go the whole, ahead. Go ahead. The, the whole premise of that meeting... Which was to see if Sheeran was loyal to Tony Pro wouldn't make any sense if if Sheeran had actually just knocked Hoff off, they never would have been meeting with Sharon if he had just mm-hmm. knocked Hoff off. There's a there there are dozens of reasons why I don't believe that story.
0: The Vesuvios was a few days later, a restaurant, forty seventh Street, forty uh, eighth Street here in New York. Right. with They that they had a meeting. Um, I met Sharon, He was trying to sell his book. Uh, said he shot off in the head. Gave directions to the house. We found. Uh, Blood evidence, potential Mm -hmm. blood evidence, uh, 50 samples tested by the FBI, 28 were human blood. What got me was that it was in the pattern of a hit. Most of the blood by the door where Hoffa's head would have hit the floor, seven drops going down the hallway. But no DNA match. Right. Uh, And and other circumstantial evidence uh, against Sharon as well as these new claims that make more sense. Do you think the mob would have used – a a guy who wasn't even a, a, a sworn made member of the mob. He's Irish. Right. To carry out the biggest mob hit in in the history of the,
1: the, organized crime. They might have. I doubt that they wouldn't use a made man, but there's no chance they would have done it under these circumstances. Sheeran says he's unnecessary to his own plot. He says he flew in from, from Ohio, I think, into Detroit, where he for the first time in his life meets Sally Bugs and Tony Andretta And they, some of them for the first time meet Chucky and then they all go uh, to pick up Hoffa and then to take, some of them go to pick up Hoffa and then take him to his death. There's just, there's so many things that might have gone wrong there that people that didn't know one another hadn't planned the thing together. It's inconceivable. I'll say one other thing. Beaverland Street was where the house was, right? Yes. And it was in Detroit. The timeline doesn't work if Chucky was supposedly involved. Chucky was known to have been in um, at Viola Holmes's house until 2.30 that afternoon. Sheeran actually claims that they showed up at 2.30 to meet Hoffa. Chucky, in their account, had to drive from where Viola was all the way down to Beaverland Street, 20, 25 minutes, all the way back to pick up Hoffa, about 20 minutes, and then all the way back another 20 minutes where he was killed. There's just The timeline doesn't work, and Hoffa would not have sat idly in a car for 9 or 10 miles from the Moccas to Beaverland Street, with a bunch of people he'd never met before except for mm-hmm. Chucky it just doesn't make any sense.
0: And finally just on this, do you know how Sharon got in the Hofex memo because that's what uh, yeah. uh, keyed my interest. He's up there number 6 or 7. Yeah. But it only says he's he the last one in he's Detroit. He's the
1: last one mentioned out of it's not I don't think it's 6 or 7. I mean, he's it. the last one mentioned out of I think it's a dozen suspects. I mean, yeah. Um I don't know how he got in the memo. I mean, he was, you know, basically that memo included um everyone that informant said might have been involved and um it's a good question you know i, I might it's a good question how he got in the memo i might try to figure out the answer to that i think i can figure out the answer please
0: do yeah. please, but, please do and get back yeah, to me i will uh the timeline and you you describe it you have at the end of the book a detailed timeline uh that you, that you say shows that chuck it, it's impossible It could not have happened can you for our listeners yeah. describe what the timeline is and why it shows that Chucky uh,
1: could not have uh, done this. So it's very complicated in the appendix. I try to lay it out as clearly as I can, but I think I can, in a few sentences, state the basic points. So the FBI focused on the fact, and it's true, that Chucky did not have, no one had seen Chucky for a couple of hours the afternoon during which Hoffa disappeared. And the two hours in which Chucky wasn't seen by anyone, anyone that they could find, um, between the time he left Viola Holmes' home at about 2.20 or 2.30 and was seen again sometime around 4 or 4.30 at local 2.99, they thought that that two hours of uh, was suspicious and pointed to the fact that he was doing something to kill Hoffa. As I point out in the, um, in the appendix and earlier in the book, that um, is the wrong way of looking at it. The right way of looking at it is, what was the time in which Hoffa was last known to be alive? And what was the and then what was the next time in which Chucky was seen by witnesses to be somewhere? Hoffa was last known to be live as latest between three twenty and three thirty that afternoon. There's tons of grand jury evidence in support of that. If that's the case, Chucky was seen by several people back at two ninety nine around four to four fifteen that afternoon. That would have left him practically no time and almost certainly no time. It seems impossible for him to have picked up Hoffa at three thirty after three thirty taken him to his killers, got went to drop off the car at Joey, pick up Joey Jacoloni, and then go back to local two ninety nine. He didn't have time to do it, and this is what the FBI meant when they told me when I met with them in two thousand twelve that they, I think, that they concluded that it was impossible that Chucky was in that parking lot that afternoon.
0: That's Andy Sluss, the uh, at the time correct, the uh, head Hoffa FBI investigator for the FBI. That what you just said basically blows a hole in Shuren. Because right. Sheeran and and the book claim – and the movie, I would assume, claim that it was – he was picked up at about 230 to 240.
1: Yeah. So that's another huge problem. There's a many, many problems with Sharon's account. But they said he was picked up between 230 and 240. They said that because everything in Sheeran's confession basically tracks the Hox memo and then inserts himself into the Hox memo. And that's just one of the mistakes in the Hox memo. They think Hoffa disappeared around two forty 240, two forty five. 245. They say in the Hoffex memo, but again, there was later evidence that developed. It's all laid out in the grand jury, which I talk about. And he spoke to Louis Lento at 3.30 that afternoon from a payphone uh, in that parking lot. So that's just another piece of evidence in the record that's inconsistent with what Sheeran said. In January, I wrote an article calling for the release of the Hoffa files. Uh, I said unredacted.
0: Uh, do you think it's possible that it can – It should. well, the Hoffa family wants it out. Uh, James P., as well as Barbara Crancer, who's now 81 years old or so, they deserve to know the truth. I think the nation deserves to know the truth. The Teamster members, uh, to for your family to get it out, What would you? do you think that's possible? What would you like to see happen?
1: I certainly agree with you that um, the only person who's alive who was a suspect in the case... Possibly. The only person besides the Hoffas who could be affected adversely is Chucky. And uh, it's in Chucky's interest for these files to be open because I believe that they will show what I show in my book, which was that he was innocent. I do hope that the government finds a vehicle for, again, I don't know if the right thing to do is to release all the files, redacted or unredacted, but they should tell us what they know and why and provide us with some supporting documents. Um You know, this was one of the most notorious disappearances and murders in American history. The FBI has had the case open for 44 years. There's now a major motion picture that's going to establish a public record on this that's entirely contrary to what the FBI thinks. Uh, It's it's hurting the Hoffa family. It's hurting Chucky. I think that they should release it, especially since, if I could just add one more thing. As I explain in the book, they promised Chucky that they would send him, give him an exonerating letter. That he wasn't a target or suspect in the disappearance. He did everything they asked then as I explained in the book, they didn't follow through. So they they owe it to him. I think they owe it to the Hoffa family.
0: Do you fear that the film The Irishman is going to show a false portrait that will be
1: indelible uh, and be the legacy of Chucky O'Brien when it's not true? Uh, I I don't fear that. I know that. That's just a piece of reality. The the film, which I haven't seen, but it it seems clear from the book it's based on and from the snippets of the film, that it does portray Chucky picking up Hoffa, taking him to his death. I mean – the marginal harm to Chucky, everybody thinks that he did it anyway, so I'm not sure what the marginal harm of a film the film is since that's been conventional wisdom for 44 years. but I do think that it will probably become part of popular lore. Um, I guess the FBI could change that if they open their records and establish definitively what the truth is, because I think the truth is far, far different from what's portrayed in that movie.: And your goal now. My goal now, I mean my goal is basically complete in having written this book. I did what I could to exonerate Chucky. Uh, I think I told the truth about him and uh, the very complicated situation he was in. I wrote the book in large part to you know try to give him a fairer shake than history's given him. I think I succeeded in that, but I certainly don't have the resources to take on the the, the popular cultural Popular culture avalanche that's about to take over the country on streaming Netflix.
0: And finally, uh, how's Chucky doing, and what do you think he would want people
1: to know? Chucky is not in great health. He's, his mind is still as sharp as it ever was, but he's not in great health. I think I know that Chucky wants people to know that he worked his whole life in labor. He did everything he could for the working man and woman. He loved Jimmy Hoffa, and he wasn't involved in The Disappearance.
0: Jack Goldsmith, uh, Professor of Harvard Law School, but perhaps more importantly, Stepson, Loving and Dedicated Stepson to Chuck e. O'Brien, the book in Hoffa's Shadow, A Stepfather, A Disappearance in Detroit, and My Search for the Truth. Jack, thank you. Thank you so much, Eric. You have been listening to Riddle, the podcast. Watch our show, Riddle, the search for James R. Hoffa, on our streaming service, Fox Nation, and news reports on the Fox News Channel. Thank you for listening. I'm Eric Shawn.